Well, it's time for us to give a few moments to hearing the Word of God, letting it shape us, form us, save us. Uh, today we're going to be looking at a portion that we find in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 21. Let's be standing, please. Even though this reading doesn't come from one of the books we call a gospel, I think you will agree that this is the gospel. If you invoke as Father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him, you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are now set on God. May God bless the reading of his word. The end of that song is just one of those moments you have to just let it be, don't you? Rodney and Nancy Dunlap used to have a cat. The cat's name was Ian. That's not what we call the cat. I debated on whether to tell you what we call the cat. I think I'll pass on that. But it's a beautiful cat. And you'd go over to their house and it would run and meet you like a dog. And you'd walk in the door and hear this cat would come running to you. And then while you're standing there talking, or if you went and sat down, the cat would do the little intertwining between your legs and just rubbing up against you and looking up at you. And and if it caught you looking down at it, it would turn over on its back. This is a cat. You know, it turned over on its back and it was all fluffy and fat. It had a pretty face and it was just like, oh, pet me, pet me, pet me, pet me. And if you would reach down there to pet that cat, it would bite you. Every time. Every time. It was just this game it played. It was fun to watch new people come in that had never been around the cat before. It was didn't take you long to learn not to trust that cat. What it was telling you wasn't the truth. And you just couldn't put your weight down on what that cat was doing. Now, when you think about that, you know, we, we, we sort of run into that wall a lot of times in our life, don't we? That people just keep letting us down. And sooner or later, you figure out that you can't trust certain folks. Now, when you think in terms of that, and you think of popular culture, especially a few years ago, those of you who are a little older, is there anything that comes to your mind about someone not trusting someone or someone trusting someone and always being let down? Now, the first service got this question. Charlie Brown, all right. Always look for an excuse to show Charlie Brown. All right, here we go. Now, some of you younger folks may not be able, you know, may not have seen this before, and I couldn't get it big enough. I hope you can read it. But there's Lucy. She's holding the football. Charlie Brown, she's calling. Charlie Brown, I have a great idea. I'll hold the football like this, and you come running up and kick it. And he says, ha, 
I wouldn't try that for a million dollars. You won't hold it. You'll pull it away and I'll hurt myself or kill myself, he says. So she starts crying. Why? You don't trust me. You don't trust me. You don't have any faith in me. You know, Charles Schultz, the originator of Peanuts, was one of the great theologians for popular culture of his day. Taught a lot of theology. And, and just to get off track a little bit here, about the only place you encounter theology outside of church And the only place you encounter philosophy at all these days is in the comic strips. So if you're not a regular reader of comic strips, then you need to get into that so you can become a theologian and a philosopher, okay? So anyway, we got this. So so you don't don't trust me. You you think I'm no good. You don't have any faith in me. So don't cry. Don't cry. I apologize. Okay, I'll do it. Well, you know what happens. There it goes. Finally, she says, never listen to a woman's tears. Can't trust Lucy. And Charlie Brown knew that. On the other hand, you do have people in your life who have come to you and come through for you so many times that you know you can trust them. You've got people in your life that you know that if you were to pick up the phone, make a call, send an email, go to their house, knock on the door, say, I need you. They would be there for you. They would do anything for you. Now, hopefully mothers fall into that. I think when most of us, if we think about who in my life would give me anything and do anything for me, certainly mothers fall into that category. But you also have friends It's funny, I was talking to Michael O'Brien after church. He was in first service, and he said, you know, we really need another word for this kind of person. Because you have friends that are just kind of friends, and then you have this kind of friend. The one that you know will do anything that you ask, will always be there for you. And we really need to come up with a better word for that person. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, says it this way. Some friends play at friendship. And we know that kind of folk. You know, there's people that sometimes they're your friends, sometimes they're not. You know, just a matter of convenience. Some people play at friendship, but there is a true friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I hope in your life, I know that circle is not large, but I hope there is a circle of people that you can identify, you can name. That any time you need them, you know they're there for you. When I think along terms like this, I think of an old preacher story. Someday I'm just going to write all my preacher stories down, number them like the old joke, you know, and just number them so I can just say, okay, it's number 23, and all of y'all can go, oh yeah, and we can move on. But I got to tell this one, and this is a story that happened supposedly during World War II. And it's about a, a, a company of men who get caught in a firefight. And they're headed back and trying to find cover. And when they get back to cover, one guy looks out and sees that his very best friend has been hit. And he's lying on the battlefield. And he's close enough to him that he can see that he is mortally wounded. That he probably is not going to make it. Well, immediately he starts to go back out to get his buddy. And someone else pulls him back down and says, don't do it. There's no way. You can see your friend isn't going to make it. You stay here where it's safe. There's no sense risking your life whenever you can't save his. 
But when that person turned back around, the friend was gone. And he looked out, and there he was, dragging his buddy off the battlefield. And he got him back to cover, to safety. And when he did, the wounded friend had died. And the one who had gone to get him was gravely wounded himself. And someone said to him, see, we told you. We told you it would do no good to go out. And he said, oh, but it did. Because when I got there, he said, I knew you would come. You know, we understand that. And the times that we have experienced that depth of friendship in our lives are some of the most precious times and the precious possessions that we have are friends who fall into that category. So, the statement that a person who proves himself faithful to you, you will trust with your life, is more than just an observation. Whenever you stop and think that I have a friend that I would trust with my life, you're not just saying something, you're not just observing something, you're doing theology. In fact, you're doing the theology of the cross. This was the Apostle Peter's theology of the cross. It was all about friendship. One of the most important things you can do as a believer is to spend some time meditating, thinking, considering. What does the cross of Jesus Christ mean to me? What is the meaning in this? What happened there? What really happened when Jesus died on the cross? You know, we, we put crosses up as symbols. We wear crosses around our neck. We see them all the time because we want to be reminded of what the cross means. Well, what does it mean? You need to have some answers for that. And I say some answers because there is no one answer to that question. The cross has so many meanings. What happened when Jesus died on the cross is, is, is so big that you can't just say, well, it means this, or well, it means this. Well, it, mean, it means all these things. And when you look in Scripture, that's what you're going to find is a lot of different ways that Scripture tries to tell us what happened when Jesus died on the cross. For example, the most common thing that we hear, if you want to use theological terms, substitutionary atonement. Does that ring a bell with someone? Well, you know what that means. In fact, we talked about that the Sunday before Easter. If you were here when we did the eyewitnesses to the cross and talked about what different people who saw Jesus die on the cross, maybe what they were thinking at the time, one of the ones we talked about was Barabbas. Barabbas stood about right here, looked up at the cross, and what did he talk about? He talked about the fact that that was his cross, that he had been scheduled to die on that cross along with those other two guys. And that, that's that morning, that Friday morning, whenever it came time to get them to take them for, to be crucified, he wasn't taken to be crucified. He was taken and he was put before the people and the, asked the question, which one lives and which one dies? And the people chose that Jesus would die. 
And we talked about how when Barabbas, if he went there and looked at that cross, what he would be thinking is, he is hanging on my cross. I earned that cross. What I did, I deserved that cross. And yet Jesus is dying on that cross. And that's substitutionary atonement. We realize that because of the decisions that we have made, because we decided to become our own gods and make up our our own minds what we wanted to do rather than being a creature and creation of a heavenly father who could tell us what is good and what is right. We don't listen to him. We just go off and make up our own minds and do what we want to do. That's what sin is. Then we have earned death. And yet Jesus said, I'll die the death that Tommy was supposed to die. I'll die the death that each one of us in this room was supposed to die. So that's one of the meanings of the cross. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So one thing when we see a cross, we can think of that. You know, I should have died, but Jesus died for me. And his death counts for my death. But there's other ways. What other ways? Well, one is, it's like a sacrifice. You know, all through the Old Testament, God was teaching us that the shedding of blood was necessary for the forgiveness of sins. Way back at the very beginning with Cain and Abel, there they're offering sacrifices. All the way through the the history of the nation of Israel, there were always sacrifices being offered. And all this was training, training, training until the ultimate perfect sacrifice could come, which was Jesus. And when Jesus hung on the cross and his blood was shed, then there was the ultimate forgiveness, the ultimate sacrifice was made. Now, to us, that may not mean quite as much as to someone who used to always drag a lamb up every week or so, you know, and give it to the priest and the priest would offer it. That would be a lot of meaning to that person. Oh, yeah, that's what it all means. In the book of Hebrews, Chapter 10, verse 12, it says, When Christ had offered for all time the single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Our text that we looked at in 1 Peter talks about Jesus as a lamb, the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. So when you think about the cross, you can think about it in that way. That Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice so that his blood may wash away our sins. Another way is that it was a ransom that was paid. That we found ourselves in slavery, in bondage. And that Jesus gave himself as a ransom for us. He redeemed us from the slaveholder. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says... The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in this text, it talks about that. It says, you know that we were ransomed by Christ. A price was paid for you so that you can live. And in fact, this text is really exciting because it tells us what you were ransomed from. Did you see that there? If you still have your Bibles open, look at it. It's a marvelous text. It says, you know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors. Isn't that wonderful? That what Jesus bought us back from was living a life that went day, 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 die, and that's it. You know, you you live and you die, and it's over. 
That, that there's no meaning to this. That there's no purpose in this. There's no direction in this. And Jesus came and rescued us out of that kind of existence and made us a child of God. He transferred us from the kingdom of darkness and put us in the kingdom of light so that what we do does matter. And we know that we continue on even past this life. Well, we could go on. There's a lot of different ways that you can look at the cross. But the last one I want us to look at today is another one that's found in this text. And it's found here in verse 21 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. And this is the basic understanding of the Apostle Peter. I know that because if you go back to Acts and read the sermons that Luke recorded and put into the lips of Peter, then every one of his sermons presents the cross of Christ in this way. You ready? Here's what he says. He says, through him you have come to trust in God. In other words, if you went up to the Apostle Peter and says, what does the cross mean to you? Peter would say this. The cross means that God would do anything for you. He would do anything for you. In fact, he was willing to die for you. And if he loves you that much, you can trust him. You can put your life in his hands. You can let your life rest upon him. Because he did everything he could do for you. He gave his own son. And really, if we understand that, Jesus was God in the flesh too. So he really gave himself for you. And if he's willing to do that for you, what will he not do for you? Trust him. When he preaches his sermons in the book of Acts, he will say, be brave enough to go and to throw yourself before him because he will touch you gently and he will forgive you. Don't be afraid of God. Love him because he loves you so much. Look what he did for you. Peter believes that that example of Jesus on the cross draws people to God and inspires trust in him. Paul joined in in the chorus in Romans 5, 8. He says, God proves his love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 21, 1 Peter 1. Through him, you have come to trust in God who also raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that not only you have faith in him, but the cross is also, with its resurrection, given you hope. And to Peter, those are the two blessings that we need to make it through life. You can trust God with your life, and because you do, you have hope. One more war story and we'll finish. This is from the Korean War. Back in 1953, when the Pulitzer Prize for Journalism was awarded, it was awarded to a lady named Margaret Huggins. And she received the award for an interview that she conducted with the Marine Sergeant from the 5th Marine Corps serving in Korea. It was in the midst of a bitter cold winter, 
And the sergeant, along with his group, were pinned down by over 100,000 Chinese communists. It was below zero. Uniforms were frozen. They were out of food. They had been surrounded for four weeks. And it's said that Huggins won the Pulitzer Prize for how she worded her final question. And here's the question she asked the Marine. She said, If I were God, and you could ask me for anything, and you would get it, what would you ask for? And the Marine said, I can ask for anything. She said, anything. The sergeant said, I ask you for tomorrow. You know, we can make it through anything as long as we know there's a tomorrow. As long as we know that when we awake, there will be another day. And even when we've come to realize that we're closing our eyes for the last time, we will know there is a tomorrow. Look what God did for you. You have heard of his steadfast love. You can look at the cross and see it. We're going to stand and sing a song. And we do this every Sunday morning. But it's a real opportunity. Some of the leaders of this church will be at the front, at the back, along the sides. You can find one of us. And if you're someone that is yet to put your trust in God, if you've been trusting yourself, if you're worried about tomorrow and wonder if there is even going to be a tomorrow, one of these will be glad to pray with you and to help you. Would you have the courage to step forward? Let's stand and sing.